following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. What I thought that we would do this morning, seeing as though we've got a lot of our kids in church with us today, is look at a passage from the Bible that involves kids. What do you think? There's actually quite a few kids in the Bible when you add them up. Just kids in the Old Testament, kids in the New Testament. So I want to look at a passage that, where we see Jesus interacting with children. And Jesus talks about children and how valuable they are and how we should treat children. Uh, and so we're going to look at this little passage in Matthew 18. So if you've got a Bible, uh, now's the time. You can turn there. If you've got a Bible on your device, you can open that up. And uh, we've got Elijah Calvert. He's on his way. He's going to come and read this passage for us this morning. Matthew 18, 1 to 5, it's going to be. Good on you, Elijah. Come on up here, buddy. You can use my mic if you like. Good to go. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Good job, buddy. Well done. Fantastic reading. That's awesome. I don't know whether you've ever seen this, but uh, when, you, when you have a group of children that are just put together who don't previously know each other, maybe for a sports team or activity or something like that, one of the first things that happens is they establish the pecking order. Have you seen, I've seen this, seen this happen. You, know, you, you have a sports team or something, kids don't know each other, and so you just observe this from the outside. And the questions that start being asked, you know, what year are you in at school? What year are you in? What year are you in? What year are you in? And then it's, how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? How old are you? And then it's, when's your birthday? When's your birthday? When's your birthday? When's your birthday? And then, and then they've got it. You know, then they know. Age, okay, they've got the ranking system, got the hierarchy, and then nothing more needs to be said. That's it. We've got it. And they kind of know the ladder of, of importance within the group. It's a really interesting little social phenomena to observe. And I think what, what's happening in this passage, when you look at what Jesus' disciples are doing, that's essentially what they're doing. It's a, it's a funny old passage, this one, because you start with Jesus' disciples kind of acting like children, and then you finish with a child being an example to the adults. Uh, but Jesus' disciples are basically doing that. They are wanting to know what is the pecking order? What's, where's the hierarchy, Jesus? You know, this is, this is quite a common theme in the Gospels of, of conversation among the disciples, they're often wanting to know who's the best, who's the greatest, who's most important, you know, who's going to sit here, Jesus, in your kingdom, who's going to sit there, can you just explain, you know, exactly how the hierarchy works. In fact, one, one time, even the mother of two disciples comes in and she's talking, you know, Jesus, can one of my sons sit on your right hand, one of my sons sit on your left hand, this awkward mum moment there. And, but this is often how the disciples are, they, they, they want to know which of us are going to be the greatest. They already think they're awesome because they've been chosen as disciples. But now they want to know who's the most awesome of all the awesome disciples. So this is the conversation that kind of sets the scene for this passage. And you can just sort of imagine Jesus just sighing to himself. It's like, have I taught you nothing? And he's trying to figure out how to respond to these inane questions of his disciples. And here's what Jesus does in verse 2. He called a little child to him. And placed the child among them. 
Now, this is an interesting strategy, and you just wonder what the disciples were thinking when Jesus started to do this. Uh, you know, he was, in, he was in a village teaching. He's in Capernaum, the fishing village, and probably off to the side, there were some children playing where Jesus was. You can imagine a group of, group of kids just playing together, maybe. And Jesus just calls out to one of them. Says, can you just come over here for a minute? Imagine if you were that child. You know, maybe your friends are with you. You kind of shuffle nervously over to where Jesus is, wondering what's going on. Maybe the child's friends are with them. They kind of inquisitively wander over to Jesus, trying to figure out what's going on. Why does Jesus want to talk to my friend? Maybe the, maybe the child's parents were there. They're, one, they're really wondering what's going on. So what does Jesus want to talk to my child for? What's happening? So the parents kind of slink along in the background. Everyone's trying to figure out why, what, what's Jesus wanting to talk to this little child about. He's having this very important adult conversation with his disciples, and suddenly he calls a little child in. And we don't know how old the child was. We don't know whether this was a boy or a girl. It could have been primary school aged. could have been intermediate school. We don't know. But he takes this child, and the Bible says he, he places the child among them. So you can imagine the disciples being maybe in a group, in a circle at this stage. Jesus takes the child and places them right in the center of the circle. And the disciples must have been wondering what on earth is going on here. They thought this was grown-up time. They thought this was adult conversation. Jesus has got this little child in the middle of the group. So I thought we might try this. What do you think? I mean, I've got a, I've got a seat here. I thought we might just try reenacting the scene and just see what happened. I mean, I'm not Jesus, but is, is, there, is there a child in the room who would like to come and be the child that Jesus talked to? Oh, we've got a bit of noise going on over here. It could be some involuntary action happening there. Anyone who actually wants to come who's not been cajoled into it by an adult? Oh, here we go, Jacob. You coming up? Good on you, bro. Okay. All right. Yeah, this is your seat. This is your seat, Jacob. All right. Everyone say hi, Jacob. All right. Jacob, this is your big moment. So you're going to be the child, okay? You're only going to be up here for a minute. That's okay. You don't even need to say anything. That's fine. But what I want everyone else to think is why did Jesus take a child and place that child in the middle of the group? Because then Jesus says these words in verse 3. He said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so the question is, what does it mean to become like Jacob? Like Jesus is saying, unless we become like a child, unless we become like little children, and he's probably thinking kids even younger than Jacob, unless we become like a child, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's quite a serious statement to make. So then it pushes the question back on us. Okay, so what is it about a child? What is it about a child that we need to become like in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Any thoughts? Innocence, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Are you innocent, Jacob? Yes. Complete, completely innocent <laughs> of all wrongdoing, except the occasional fib on stage. No, no not you, mate. I'm sure you are innocent. Yeah, maybe innocence. Anything else? What was that, Gary? Teachable? Teachable like a child? Yeah, hum humble hearts, open hearts. Teach are you teachable, Jacob? Um, yeah, you're okay with people teaching you. 
Yep. Good for your teachers. Yep. Yeah, totally. totally teachable. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yes. They have to rely on their parents. That's a good one. Yeah. Do you rely on your parents, Jacob? Yep. Yes, definitely does. Yes. Yes. Yeah, great question. Yeah, they absorb they absorb things like a sponge. They explore their world. Yeah, absolutely. Just open-hearted, open lives. Yeah, you do all those things, don't you? Inquisitive, exploring. Yeah, great answers. Yeah, anything else? Simple faith. Thank you. Yeah, winsome. Trust. Yes, good stuff. Yeah, do you have something down there? Is that who's that? Jonathan. They live longer than an adult. Okay, boy, we got a complex theology here to change my sermon. They what? They don't hold grudges. Yeah. Yeah, so all these sorts of qualities, you know, swirl around in our minds and we think maybe it's innocence and, and some quality of the child and, and their humble heart, their teachable heart. Um, thankfully, Jesus gives us a bit of a clue with this one. He, he tells us where he's going with this. And in the very next verse, there's a particular little phrase here that keys us into what he's saying. In verse 4, he says, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, the lowly position of this child. Now, Jacob doesn't have too much of a lowly position. He's a very esteemed young man. But let me explain to you what Jesus means by that. First, we'll let Jacob go, shall we? He's done a great job. Let's give Jacob a hand. Thanks, mate. Fantastic. So when, Jake, uh, when um, Jesus talks about the lowly position, we can, I think we instinctively think about that in, in moral ways. And we think of imitating children or, or copying the way that they behave or the way they act in some ways. But what Jesus means by that phrase, that's really talking about the social position of a child uh, in the first century, the social status that children had. The position children had in the first century was a lowly position. And that, that was just an objective reality. Uh, if you think of the whole social hierarchy in Jesus' time being like a ladder, uh, everyone knew which rung they were on. Everyone knew which rung was the most important. You knew who was on the rung below you. You knew who was on the rung above you. You knew exactly your position. Where do you think children were? Yeah, right. Not even on the first rung. They were right at the bottom of the ladder. In fact, they were on the same level as slaves. The, the word for child and the word for slaves, they can mean the same thing. That word child can literally describe a slave. So children and slaves, they, they were on the same bottom ground story, not even on the first rung of the ladder. Children had no social position in the first century. They had no rights. They had no social standing. They had no status. They had no advocates. So, you know, today we have a children's commissioner. They didn't have any of that. Today we have Oranga Tamariki. There was none of that. There was no, there's no one else who's going to advocate for children. Uh, they were just at the bottom of the entire social hierarchy. And because of that, they were therefore completely dependent on the adults in their life, their mum and dad, loving and caring for them. Because if mum and dad aren't going to do it, no one else in their social world was going to look after them. Now, that I think takes us a little further in to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you need to take the lowly position of the child. In other words, acknowledging that before God, we are at the bottom of the ladder, right? This is a tough thing to recognize, but I think this is what Jesus is calling us to, to see, is before God, we don't have any particular standing 
Before God, we don't have any particular status. Before God, we don't have any rank. We, we don't have, we're not even on the bottom rung of the ladder. We, we have this lowly position before God. Even if we fail to recognize it, that's really just our own pride. We have nothing in us. There's no inherent greatness in us that we can't get ourselves to the top of the ladder where God is. We can't even get ourselves one rung up the ladder where God is. We just have this lowly position at the bottom of the whole scale. And that means, like a child, we are totally dependent on God reaching down to us at the bottom of the ladder and lifting us up. And isn't that exactly what God's done? Isn't, isn't that the gospel? Like, isn't this what Jesus has done for us? Is to reach down to us in our lowly estate, in our lowly position, and lift us up like little children, lifting us up, forgiving us, setting us in His family, bringing us into His presence, placing His Holy Spirit within us, turning our lives around and saying, you are part of my kingdom. And God says, I will do this for you, but you need to become like a child. It's the only way into the kingdom. So all of us adults need to hear this because a lot of the time we can kind of jostle for greatness as well, can't we, like those disciples? Even just in our own minds, we can sort of think about where we are relative to everyone else and how awesome we are and how great we want to be. And Jesus said, no, you've got to become like the child. You've got to acknowledge your lowly position. The only way into the kingdom of heaven is to become like the child who can acknowledge, who can humbly acknowledge that there is nothing in them that no, no standing they have before God, but can just humbly open up their arms and accept the extravagant grace of God that He offers to us and He pours into our life. And so Jesus says, this is how everyone needs to come into my family, needs to come into my kingdom, is to acknowledge your complete and utter and total dependence on me. Until we're willing, until we're ready to acknowledge our lowly position before God, we can never enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is what the child reminds us of. In some ways, then, they remind us of grace. Is that right? They remind us that we're broken, we're sinful, but we need, we depend on the grace of God reaching down to us. I think that's what the picture of the child in this passage is teaching us. So we need to be willing to take the lowly position before God like a child, open up our arms and receive His grace. Now, there is something else that Jesus teaches us in this passage about children and specifically about the way in which we should interact with children. Look at this last verse. I want to focus on this for a minute. Verse 5, he says, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So, I don't know whether you can pick up the shift there, but Jesus has switched from talking about children being an example to us to how we should treat children themselves, right? This is not figurative language now. Jesus is saying, literally, this is how I want you to treat the children among you. That's what he's now talking about. And the word that he uses there is the word welcome. Whoever welcomes a child in my name. Now, that, that word welcome, to welcome a child, it doesn't just mean saying hi. It doesn't just mean greeting them at the door doesn't even mean giving them a high five or a fist bump. Do you know what it means? It, it has this idea built into it, that word, of hospitality, of opening up our, our hearts, opening up our lives, and being willing to receive children right into our presence and being willing to be with the little ones. 
It, it has these connotations of, of openness and generosity and love and warmth and kindness and hospitality, receiving someone right into your very presence. That's the idea of welcoming the child. And so what Jesus is saying is one of the practices that should exist in a healthy church community is a willingness to be with children. I don't think Jesus could be clearer, right? Whoever welcomes a child, what does he say? Welcomes me, right? That's the reason that we are called to welcome children, not just because it's the good Christian thing to do, right? We don't welcome kids because we're just trying to be good, nice, moral Christians. We welcome children because in welcoming children, do you know what's happening? You are welcoming Jesus. It's extraordinary that Jesus identifies himself with the little children, It's a very similar thing to what he does in Matthew 25 when he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. There he is identifying himself with the least and the last and the lost and the forgotten. And now here he's saying, I'm going to identify myself with the little children. In some sense, we don't fully understand how this works, but in some sense, the little children come to represent Jesus. That he identifies with them so that to welcome children is to welcome Jesus. That's what's happening when you receive a child into your presence. That's what's happening when you love a child. That is what's happening when you take an interest in the kids in our community. You're not just being a good church member. You are welcoming the very presence of Jesus. Jesus said, when you welcome them, you're going to see me show up in their little faces. You're going to see me show up in their stories and their experiences and what they want to talk about. You're going to see me in that space. That's an amazing thing, I think, because in in church, I think typically, we, we've, we've come up with this thing called children's ministry, right? And that's, that's good. So children's ministry, I think what we think children's ministry means is all the kids go out there into those rooms out there, and there's a lot of activity that happens out there on a Sunday morning across those five atriums, and we assume that's all kids' ministry is. We've got to get them out of here as quick as we can, get them into those rooms, so they can get some good babysitters, so we can get onto the adult stuff, so we can get down to the grown-up business. We can have sermons, and we can have communion, stuff for grown-ups. And you see what we've made children's ministry when we do that? We have actually constructed something that is the exact opposite of what Jesus said it was. Because Jesus defines children's ministry as the ministry of being with children. We've defined children's ministry as the ministry of separating ourselves from children. So we've got to rethink it. Now, I'm all for great children's ministry. Let me say that. And we have a great children's ministry. And there is absolutely a place to have ministry areas and age-appropriate programs so children can learn and understand and be be guided at, at the level that they are at. That's fantastic. I just think that's only part of the picture of what kids' ministry is. If we reduce it to that, we have this really shriveled up version of kids' ministry. We've got to see kids' ministry as the ministry of being with children in all sorts of spaces, in all sorts of places, in all sorts of contexts in the life of our church. Contexts like this morning, where the kids are in among us. That's children's ministry. And the reason that's important is because when you interact with a child... God shows up. This is what Jesus is saying, is in that space between adult and child, God is there, 
and he is bringing a blessing for both the adult and the child. What Jesus is saying here is that being with children is a sacramental practice. It is a means of grace in our lives. Receiving children is to receive Jesus himself. That's, that's a deeply spiritual thing. That's much more than our Christian duty. Jesus has set his kingdom up in such a way. One of the ways in which he's going to make himself visible and present and known to us is in the faces of the little ones around us. That should change, I think, a little bit of our disposition towards the kids in our community because we recognize that in loving them, we're loving Jesus and we're receiving something from Jesus. We're being able to see Jesus in a new way. I read a couple of weeks ago a, a story uh, of the pastor talking about his church, this new church plant that had started. And he said, in, as we started this church, we made a rule that everyone had to serve in kids' ministry. Every member of the church. I know some of you are like, don't tell me this. This is what's coming. He said, every single person had to serve in kids' ministry at least once every eight weeks. Wow. And he tells the story about Doug, who came up to him after church one day and said, Pastor, please, I, you know, please excuse me from this. You've got to get me out of this. I can't do it. I do not have the gift of working with children. It's not my spiritual gift. I just can't do this. And here's how this pastor responded to Doug. He said, being with children in our teaching ministry is not a spiritual gift. It is never mentioned in Scripture as a spiritual gift. Instead, the church brings all its gifts into the space of ministry with children and all who can lower themselves to be present with a child will experience Jesus and his kingdom like nothing else. Interesting, hey? And he says, Doug, look back on those years where he served in kids' ministry and saw that as one of the greatest times of spiritual renewal in his life because he'd been humble enough to love the kids in his community. Now, we're not going to make that rule at Shaw Community Church, just in case you're ready to walk out the doors. But I think it should make us think. It should make us think about what kids' ministry really is and give us a much broader definition of what it really means to minister to children. It is the ministry of being present with kids in a range of different ways and spaces. And we do that because this is how we encounter Jesus, not just to pass information on to kids, not just to teach them the Bible. Yes, that all comes with it. But primarily, this is because loving kids is a way of welcoming Jesus and experiencing his presence. And that's part of our growth as Christians, and that's part of healthy practice as a church community. So I want to encourage us just to live this out today, and, and I encourage you to take one really practical step in this direction, even after church this morning. There's going to be probably more kids than usual floating around after church and helping themselves to far too many mints over there in the morning tea station, if they're my boys at least. But I want to encourage you adults, if you would be brave enough this morning, not just to talk to people at your eye level. Would you do that? Because I know how easy that is, and we just sort of think the real people are the ones at my eye level, you know? Now, if you're a really short person, that's fine. But if you're not, maybe just, just cast your field of vision down a little bit this morning, and would you be willing to engage with some of the little people who are around? Just ask them a question. They love to talk. Just ask them about their lives, ask them what's going on at school or what's happening in their world, and just take an interest in the little ones. Because by doing that, it speaks volumes to them 
of how much you love them. It, it speaks to the way you even see this church community, that you're acknowledging it's not just a bunch of adults with kids off to the side. It's all of us. And as we said in the dedications, every age is just as much a part of this family as every other age. So if we're going to live that out, let's actually put that into practice by engaging with all age groups. And you're acknowledging in that space, if you're willing to, that this can be a moment when you are welcoming Jesus. You take those words at face value. Whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. Just let those words ring in your ears as you have conversations with people this morning. And you just see. Maybe you won't feel it. Maybe you won't even sense it. But just trust by faith. In those moments, when you're loving the kids in our community, God will show up and he'll do something. And he'll bring a blessing for that child. And he'll bring a blessing for you. So let's let the kids in our community point us towards the grace of God, the gospel, and our lowly position. And let's love these kids. Let's love them because we believe that in welcoming children, we are welcoming Jesus himself. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the children that you've placed among us. Lord, I think of that other moment in Scripture where the children came to you to be blessed, Jesus, and your disciples tried to push them away, and you rebuked them and said, no, don't stop those kids. Don't stop those little ones from coming to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. You put the children on your knee and you blessed them, Jesus. You loved them. You had time for kids. You saw their value. You saw their dignity. You saw how, how precious they are in your kingdom. And we want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just open our hearts to the children in our community. Lord, I pray for those in the room who are not parents, that, Lord, you would still continue to help them see the way they can connect with and love and embrace and be embraced by the kids in our community, even though they may not have children of their own. Lord Jesus, for every age group and every generation in our church, help us to love not only those who are like us, and who are at our stage in life, but those who are further on and those who are coming behind. Uh, because we trust Jesus, this is what you want your church to be and to look like. So we commit ourselves to that task, Lord Jesus, and we ask for your grace and wisdom as we seek to be a church of all generations. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.